trolling, trolling for ten baggers. Trolling, trolling for ten baggers. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. You're here with Joel and Sam. We're here to talk about finding 10 baggers. That's a stock that's gone up 10 times. There isn't much out there about how you find a 10 bagger, so we chat to people who've found them before. In the show, we talk to all sorts of guests about all sorts of different things, but just remember that nothing included is advice. Make sure to speak with a professional advisor about your own circumstances before making any financial or investment decisions. Hi, and thanks for tuning in. Just a quick note before we start the show, this is a pretty general conversation that we hope people will find interesting and useful whenever they find themselves listening to it. But just for a point in time reference for the couple of company and stock specific mentions within the show, this episode was recorded in late September 2021. All right, thank you for joining us, listeners. We've got a very, very special episode today. We are talking to Emily and Clooney from Alpha Females Invest. Emily is head of ESG at Perennial, uh, and Clooney's from Morgan Stanley. Thank you for those for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us on today. We're super excited to be a part of Trolling for Ten Baggers. Brilliant. Do you want to start first, both with um, your backgrounds into finance and, and what you're passionate about? Sure. And just before we get started, I did want to let everyone know that anything we discuss today is, of course, general in nature. It's not financial advice. You should always read the PDS and consult an investment professional before you make investment decisions. So um, I guess it's Clooney here. Um, I guess I didn't really have the traditional route of getting into finance um, through an internship program. Instead, I studied a, a double degree of commerce and law at Bonn Uni and thought sort of from the very beginning that I wanted to be a corporate lawyer. Um, but after three clerkships, I decided that proofreading a 200-page document to find where the incorrect commas had been placed was not really my calling. Um, so in my last year of uni, I applied to a huge variety of roles across banking, consulting and sales and um, ended up really loving the team at Morgan Stanley and they decided, I guess, I was an okay fit too. Um, you know, I definitely remember starting my first day with a whole lot of enthusiasm, some great mentors and, you know, I've definitely learned a lot throughout my experience to date. Yeah, it's it's Emily here and my, I guess, journey has been a little bit different. I always knew for as long as I can remember that I wanted to be in finance. Um, but I guess as a typical university student, all you really hear about is that investment banking is the only option post a finance degree. So during my interviews with a US-based investment bank, um, I actually met the head of research at the time and he convinced me to come and give it a try through a summer internship. And I was actually pleasantly surprised on the vast array of skills that you need to have to be a research analyst on the sell side. Um, you need to be really analytical and have that attention to detail, but you also need to be able to model. You need to be able to write research reports. You need to be able to pitch and present to institutional investors and also people like Clooney. Um, but after a few years, I guess I developed a passion for sustainable investing and I had an opportunity to move across to the buy side and look at more the investment management um, because I thought sustainable investing just absolutely made sense. I didn't understand why people weren't 
looking at ESG investing. Um, if you're doing the right thing by your employees and your customers and the environment, of course, you're going to have a competitive advantage. So I moved to Perennial and it's been a fantastic platform for me to spur that passion and work with, with great people. Absolutely. Um, I guess I might take this from a more technical perspective in terms of, um, you know, for those, as you mentioned, who may not be aware how the buy side and sell side really do interact. Um, You know, I think when people say the buy and sell side, it's worth just stipulating those key differences. So the buy side, in my view, is the side of the financial market that buys and invests large portions of securities, I guess, for the purpose of money or funds management versus the sell side, um, which are the investment banks, is the other side of the financial market, which really we focus on dealing with the creation, promotion and selling of traded securities to the public. So we do interact with each other on you know a daily basis, um, I guess, with the joint goal of really promoting the integrity of capital markets. And you know, as to Em's point just before, I do think that's really coming to the forefront of investors' minds more and more so. You know, fund managers are constantly being considered stewards of capital and I would say the rise of ESG investing has really, really highlighted that. Um, you know, in terms of um, my background and experience, as sort of M touched on, um, I work in the institutional equity division of Morgan Stanley. Um, in essence, we act as account managers for our clients who are people like Emily at Perennial um, and our end goal there is to really develop a relationship Uh, with fund managers, understand the intricacies of their processes and through that understand which touch points we can best connect them with to add value. Um, You know, fund managers, as I'm sure Em will elaborate on, are relatively time poor people. So you really want to be able to grab their attention in a really accurate and meaningful manner. Thanks, Clune, and I, I totally agree. So my specific role, I'm co-head of ESG and also an equities analyst at Perennials. So I'm a typical stock covering analyst that you will find at any buy side firm. Um, my sector is mostly fintechs and financials, which I love and kind of comes from my background on the sell side. But I also help the primary portfolio manager of our perennial better future strategies, um, which is an active ETF listed on the stock exchange quoted under the code IMPQ, but also our perennial better future trust. So I help him with all the stocks in our fund, um, searching for ideas. And I'm also responsible for the integration of ESG across all of Perennial's portfolios and also on the corporate side as well. So making sure we're being the best ESG citizens that we can as a firm. And I think Clooney really hit the nail on the head on the buy side versus sell side differences. But the biggest difference that I see and that I say, particularly moving from sell side to buy side, is that... On the sell side, your ideas are really public, but on the buy side, your ideas have financial implications. So we are so privileged as fund managers to have people trust us with their wealth. And we take that really, really seriously and our responsibilities super seriously. Every decision we make has implications for people's financial health. Um, the sell side actually helps us make those right decisions and facilitates the decisions. But I guess ultimately the success or failure of an investment decision does rest on our shoulders. 
So there's a number of things that we look at, particularly in in small caps where I spend most of my time um, when we're looking to make an investment. So this it is depends company by company, but at a high level, we're really looking for business model and making sure that they have a large addressable market and they have a competitive advantage and a potential to capture some market share there. So business model is critical. But just as critical is margins. So we typically seek high margin and sustainable margin businesses so that they can weather any cost, um, whether that's on the revenue side or the the cost side of the business. We also really care about balance sheet strength. And that's super important, particularly during a period like we had with COVID last year in March, um, making sure that they have a strong cash position and they're cash generating, um, again, to weather those storms where they might have some stresses on the balance sheet. Um, I guess most importantly, what you hear people say in small caps is we we invest in management teams and that's super critical. So we want, well, we love founder-led businesses. That's that's great because they have a super strong alignment to the brand. We love people who are experts in their field and understand the, the landscape really, really well. And um, I think we heard, I heard on one of your previous episodes that someone said, we look for management that's going to resonate with institutional investors. And that's completely what we like to do. We we want management teams that's going to be able to present the business case really strongly to other investors. Um, of course, we consider economic conditions. Um, also in small caps, we're looking at liquidity and spread. Um, luckily for us, we have a dedicated small cap dealer who can help us with that. Um, we're looking at the shareholder registry. Um, again, we want institutional grade businesses so that other institutions will eventually take notice of, of these ideas. Um, and most critically to us is the sustainability and ESG credentials of the business and its ultimate purpose. So is it having a positive impact on the world or is it having a negative impact? Because we want to use our capital to support businesses that are doing good things and shift it away from businesses that are not helping the environment or society. Thanks, Emily. That's a great summary of um, both sides of the process. A question I'd like to ask our guests that do work in the finance industry and help listeners understand a little bit more about how things work, I guess, is is there anything that either of you didn't appreciate as a private investor, perhaps, until you worked within the industry and things that maybe surprised you a bit? Um, I think, I guess, perhaps just taking it from, you know, a, a step back here, um, I think what I really underappreciated is the lack of knowledge amongst our peers in terms of, you know, financial literacy. Um, and I think it's so critical to developing your financial knowledge, you know, having a basic understanding of what a stock portfolio is, um, how you can invest your money, you know, the return you're getting in the bank versus in a portfolio. And I think there's a real lack of understanding there, especially in the second layer, um, which I'm sure we'll get into much later. But, you know, I do think um, we love to to make finance accessible, understandable and relatable. And I think that was something that I really um, didn't appreciate until I've been able to take a step back and, and sort of see it from a different perspective. Just just coming back to some of the buy side considerations, ESG, obviously, we need. that's what we really want to talk about today because uh, for my mind, certainly there's lots of small cap companies trying to chase this, this thematic at the moment. And I think that's where we can sort of talk about outsized returns and, and how investors might get them. But can you just take a step back for us and, and just sort of start explaining what is ESG for someone that's coming across this for the first time? Oh, yeah, sure. So I guess first I'll start off with saying that 
ESG is a fantastic alpha generator. Um, what is ESG? Well, it stands for environmental, social and governance. And it's all about how the company is taking the considerations of the environment, its impact on the environment, on its customers, on its um, uh, employees. And it is a really great lens to look at how the business is managing their risks and opportunities. I mean, we have financial risks and ESG is just another element of a risk we need to consider in a business because ultimately we'll become a financial risk if not managed well. Um, so I guess we, in IMPQ and the Better Future Trust, we actually attribute a lot of our strong performance to our focus on sustainability and ESG. Um, and of course, Past performance is not always a reliable indicator of future performance, but as of 31st of August this year, we've been able to achieve in IMPQ a 21% per year um, net of fees performance for our investors, and that's 7.9% above the benchmark, um, which is the ASX small industri uh, industries. So that's 7.9% that's above the benchmark, and our investors are better off than just investing in a passive fund. So um, I guess we we really do see ESG as an alpha generator. But across the board, what we do know is that on average, ESG does not inhibit returns. Um, and in fact, in some cases like ours, it actually um, helps them to outperform. So for example, RIA, which is the Responsible Investment Association Australasia, actually puts out an annual benchmarking report of Australian responsible investment managers. And in the 2021 report, they found that across most asset classes and timeframes, the average responsible investment fund actually either outperformed or performed in line with their mainstream peers. So you can really do well while also considering a better future. Um, but I guess even more critical to that and what we focus on as well is that sustainable funds typically have lower volatility of returns and more consistent returns. So a report from Morgan Stanley, which is very relevant given that's Clooney's workplace, um, Morgan Stanley's Institute for Sustainable Investing, did, a, did analysis on 11,000 mutual funds and they found that there was no financial trade-off in the returns of sustainable funds compared to traditional funds, um, but they also demonstrate lower downside risk with 20% smaller downside deviation than their traditional funds. But we can also look at ESG from a cost of capital perspective. So what we have been finding is that firms' cost of equity capital is actually lower for companies with higher sustainability ratings. And what that means is that companies that perform well on ESG, so environmental social governance, actually find it easier to raise capital at cheaper prices. And that's pretty powerful for their business to grow. And I guess following on from that, small caps is a fantastic opportunity for ESG investing. And that's why our fund is, is small to mid caps, because it's actually a really diverse set of companies compared to the Australian large caps, which is mostly um, mining and, and resources. But what we can find in the small cap space is really interesting Australian companies that are helping to solve global sustainability challenges. And I guess some of the issues we come across in the small cap space is that they might have a really great positive purpose, but their governance is lacking. So that their board composition, um, gender diversity, independence, remuneration structure. But these are all things that we actually as active investment managers can work with the company to improve and therefore generate better outcomes for their business and their returns. Fascinating. So really what you're saying is that there's there's many different layers, I guess, of, of what ESG sort of investing is. For us, in, in, in I suppose, just coming down to a narrow lens, um, you, you, I think you mentioned the cost of capital. I mean, there's, there's certainly what, you know, 
globally significant monies around the world trying to find uh, a place. And we've certainly noticed it as, as speculators that some of these, um, you know, companies are, are, are training, you know, saying they've got this, this hydrogen project or they've got some new technology for carbon capture and storage. How do you, how do I, how do I guess you juxtapose these small caps trying to be more sustainable and more environmentally conscious when you know kind of it, when we look at it, maybe they're just trying to chase a fad or a quick buck at the same time? Yeah, it's such an important consideration and we actually see it quite often Um, and there's a technical term for it and it's actually called greenwashing. So it's portraying your business as green or environmental or or ESG friendly when it's really just more of a fad or as you say, like a marketing ploy basically. And I guess that's our job as investment analysts to go in and actually understand is this business genuine in what it's doing? And look at it from a valuation perspective as well. Is it an attractive business to invest in? Is it going to generate consistent returns? Because, you know, it's well and good to have a thematic or invest in the thematic, but if it's not going to generate good returns, what's the point of investing in it? So we think that they have to complement each other. So you need to have that sustainable purpose, but you also need to have a strong business model. Um, and we we do a lot of talking with management. We really understand the business. We're, we're investment analysts. And so we can really marry those two together to, to get the returns because you're right, there is a little bit, you hear hydrogen or you hear um, renewable energy and people, you know, sometimes do say there's an ESG premium that is attached to that. Um, but there's so many other factors that we look at to, to before we invest in a company. And you, you might know that, I mean, the flows into sustainable funds has doubled in the past year. It represents about 33% of global inflows now. So this is large amounts of money that are looking for these types of ideas and that's going to provide more tailwinds going forward. Yeah, so there's a couple of things. Um, We have an internal scoring mechanism that we call our ESG and E-score, and that stands for environmental social governance, but also engagement. And it's a score out of 10 that that we assign to a company. And all of the companies in our Better Future funds have to have an ESG and E-score that's above the weighted average benchmark score. And we work with the analyst of the stock to develop the the score for the business, and it's based on our scoring um, criteria. And that provides us a great lens to whether overall, if it's having a positive impact, but also is it strong enough on corporate sustainability? Um, The other thing is we look for businesses in certain sectors. So some of the themes in our fund are education, healthcare, renewable energy, low carbon technology, um, safety, employee engagement. So these are kind of certain themes that that we are seeking out. Um, But as I mentioned, it, it does, it does, it's just not in the theme and then it t- gets into the fund. It does have to have a really strong um, business case as well. That's, that's, that's interesting. I guess if I'm just a, a simple punter though, um, how, how do I go and assess someone's ESG credentials? Do you have any tips for that? Yeah, so it really depends company on company. Like financial metrics don't make sense for every company. It, it is sector specific and and sometimes company specific. Um, But I guess there are a few things you can look for. Um, I mean, we found that gender diverse teams in management actually provide better outcomes. So you want to look at 
the management teams, the board of directors, um, do they represent a diverse range of thinking? We know that a woman CEO has actually been found to contribute 5% increase in the market value of ASX listed companies, which is quite interesting. Um, And investors also typically perceive these companies as less risky, more creative and more productive. Um, You can also look at things like their greenhouse gas emissions, their safety record, their employee engagement scores. Um, You know, you can go in and look at their reviews as well. How do they treat their customers? How easy it is to make a complaint? Um, And these are all practical things that make sense. Good businesses are going to treat their customers well. Good businesses are not going to be negatively impacting the environment because if they are negatively impacting the environment, they're putting themselves at risk of increased legislation or fines, for example. Um, and so I think people need to go in and understand what matters, what's material for, for the business um, and read read the research, read, you know, go in and look at, do they have a sustainability report? That's a pretty good guide for what they believe is material for their business. Um, and to make sure it's not just, you know, just a concept and it has real viability as, as a product or service. That's that's terrific information there. You you just mentioned something that, that that's in the back of my mind because I guess and, and Joel and I have these conversations and I know it's 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 a big part of passion at my day job is, is is assessing ESG and part of me just thinks there's all these small cap companies that 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 know of it and know that it, it's attractive but but they want to use it in a way that I guess is a theme or a trend or a fad for lack of a better word. So it's. I think this is going to be something that keeps coming up um, a lot in the future. But I guess, what do you say to people when they say, oh, this, this is ESG stuff, it's, it's got to be a bit of a fad, don't you think? <laughs> I love that because people told me that um, a few years ago and, you know, they said to me, when there is a market correction, no one's going to care about ESG, ESG staff are going to lose their job, no, you know, it's just going to go off, off, you know, no one, it's just going to vanish. And we actually saw the complete opposite. So more people got interested in ESG, particularly as the people who who care about their environment typically are mostly millennials. And we know that there's an intergenerational wealth transfer that's happening now. And so that actually just means a bigger market for sustainability investing. Um, we know regulation is coming to the space. Um, Europe is putting in all kinds of um, sustainability minimum requirements for for companies to report and for fund managers. Um, We've got net zero emissions targets globally. So that means that countries and companies are having to get their emissions profile down to zero. Um, We have a lot of work to do before we get to that stage, which means more and more opportunities, um, more and more investment is is needed. I just can't see how this is going away. And yes, there's risk of greenwashing as we we spoke about, and that's what we've got to look through. And, you know, we're, we're ESG first, but we're also investment managers and we care about the fundamental financial metrics as much as we care about the ESG. Um, but honestly, it's, it's not going anywhere. It's not a fad. It's lead, it, It's been proven to have better return profile. It's a great lens to look at a business. Um, we're seeing more and more funds pop up as sustainability funds. Um, it, yeah, I, I, just, I just think that whether you care about the environment and global warming or whether you care about whether society is improving or not, you should still be investing sustainably because it's going to generate better returns for you. Thanks, Emily. I think that's a really good point that underlines the attractiveness of this sector. 
I just want to come back to uh, the diversity comment you mentioned, and this is a good segue. Um, perhaps you and Clooney can talk about Alpha Females Invest, your podcast, and why you're both so passionate about this space. Absolutely. And, you know, I know I touched on it, I guess, briefly before, but one of our key passions here is, you know, to really elevate our peers' financial knowledge. Um, I feel, and you sort of touched on it with the diversity concept as well, I feel there's a real social gap in our generation where women especially don't really talk about finance. You know, I know a lot of my guy friends love chatting to each other about the next Bitcoin move or stock idea in the market, um, but never do I catch up with my girlfriends maybe besides Emily, um, and talk about stocks, you know, let alone different aspects of finance, our super, or even having an investment portfolio. Um, So as such, you know, I think there's a real gap in the market in terms of educating people about the benefits of finance, especially once you get over that initial hurdle of, okay, I've got a portfolio, now what do I do with it? Um, you know, setting up a portfolio is pretty simple these days. And there are a lot of great educational resources that can help individuals do this. Um, But what I guess I think is missing there is that second layer of knowledge, um, understanding the difference between passive and active investing, understanding how to best diversify your portfolio, understanding different asset classes, not just equities, you know, as well as gaining exposure to to new and innovative businesses out there that are creating really um, unique ways of investing. So, you know, I've always thought, um, I guess, asking questions is not a weakness. It shows you're curious. And I think previously there's there's been a bit of an elephant in the room, um, so to speak, around discussing the benefits of investing and all the different ways you can invest and and really grow your asset base. And um, that's sort of one of my passions, um, you know, to make finance cool and accessible. Um, And I I definitely think it's one of the reasons I started the podcast, Um, but I'll let Em jump in with her thoughts. Yeah, I mean, look, clearly Clooney and I have a vested interest in diversity. Um, We also know that females are critically underrepresented in in, finance trading and investing. Um, What we tend to see, and not always, of course, there's exceptions to the rule, but what we tend to see is that females typically who do invest will lock it in a passive fund and not look at it, whereas males will typically like to trade um, and take more more punts, as as you say. Um, But what we wanted to do is we think that, you know, there's not many women in finance or, or they're underrepresented, um, but there are plenty of females out there and there hasn't been really a platform to provide them with a voice to go to market and to provide a diversity of thought and leadership. And that's what we wanted to do. So our content is aimed at all genders, um, but what we do strive is to have at least 50% of female guests on our show. And that, and that allows us to just provide that platform for females to get exposure to sharing their ideas because it's so important as I mentioned, that people are exposed to diverse opinions and views because otherwise you get groupthink and you never improve the business. You never manage risk as effectively as you do if you have a diverse team. Um, Unfortunately, only 6% of the ASX 300 companies have a female CEO. 23 CEO appointments during 2020 and 2021, only one woman was appointed. Um, These are pretty sad statistics, um, but we hope we can do a little bit by just providing um, providing diverse opinions. Thanks, Emily. I know we mentioned offline, I'm just not sure we covered in the conversation, but I wanted to make the distinction and make sure people are aware. Your podcast is a personal activity and not part of 
Clooney's role at Morgan Stanley or yours at Perennial Partners and just that it's an independent project that you guys work on in your own time. But I just want to go back a step perhaps and maybe if you're able to explain a bit more about the topics and types of content you're covering in the show and what audience you're sort of focusing on. Absolutely. So we cover quite a variety of different topics and we've now released eight episodes. Um, They range from sort of, I guess, educating our listeners about different areas. So our first episode focused on tech and whether we're in a tech bubble at the moment. Our second episode did a deep dive into ESG, uh, which obviously you can tell M is super entrenched in. Um, And then in addition to that, and since then, I guess, we've really wanted to promote talent and idea generation in the financial space. And so as such, um, a lot of our speakers on the show have been founders of small fintech innovative businesses. So we've had um, Gabby Rosenberg, who's the founder of Blossom, um, which is a fixed income app. We've had Camilla Love, who is the founder of eInvest, which focuses on active ETF investing. Um, And we've had Michael, who is the founder of Emmy, which focuses on getting exposure to carbon trading. So they're all sort of really different and diverse areas of finance. And so I guess really our, our key sort of speakers are looking to expand our listeners' knowledge in ways that they don't necessarily get just by picking up a copy of the AFR. Thanks, Clooney. I think what you and Emily are doing with the show is is fantastic, really, and congratulations to you both. Educating people about finance is is is, is fantastic. Um, you're absolutely right, though, and this resonates a lot with Joel and I. I mean, this this arena, this financial space, is absolutely male dominated, and and we're guilty of it too. We've put out 25 episodes talking to men, so we'll put our hands up, um, and you know need to do more and if anybody any of our listeners have any guests or ideas please drop us a line just to um i guess come back um or one of the main tenets i guess of of our podcast i suppose is is to to nominate a 10 bag and now we're, we're really throwing you both under the gun here you're you're you know an institutional setting and of course with the disclaimer at the start notwithstanding the fact that the market continues to power on and we are at very high levels so um, it's going to be really difficult for anyone to find ten baggers, but but baggers are, are good too. And I believe you have a, I believe you have a couple of candidates, Emily, for us. I certainly do. So of course, I always advocate that a portfolio of companies is the best approach because you never know when something is going to do well or how long it's going to take the market to to take notice. And you want to be able to weather certain volatility. Um, But one company I I will discuss, which I have spoken about before, and actually it's a four-bagger at the moment for us, which we're really excited about. Um, But it's a company called Calix, and it's an industrial solutions company that is helping to solve global sustainability challenges. So really aligned with what our brand is in better future. Um, I guess one of the uses of their technology is the carbon capture process for the lime and cement industry. And we know that the lime and cement industry is actually responsible for 9% of global greenhouse gas emissions. And that's pretty significant in a world where we need to decarbonize. That's a big chunk of emissions. Um, So we know we've got the EU carbon border adjustment mechanism, which is coming in. As I mentioned, the EU taxonomy, there is zero emissions targets from companies globally, including China um, by 2060. And we've got other policies that are requiring decarbonization. And so we think Calix is really uniquely positioned to help the economy decarbonize. 
um, I guess what has excited the market recently and I guess the potential that we had seen for a long time, we're long-term holders of Calix, is that they've announced some pretty significant partnerships with large global companies to help them decarbonize. So, for example, it executed an agreement with Adbury, or also known as Adelaide Bryden, um, to help develop a Calix calcinar for lime production with carbon dioxide capture. Now, lime is used for producing some critical elements such as steel, aluminium, rare earths and gold, Um, but unfortunately it emits one tonne of carbon dioxide for every one tonne of lime produced. And so therefore a zero emissions lime solution is really, really critical to us. Um, It also announced memorandums of understanding or what we call MOUs with Pilbara Minerals to produce a low emissions lithium salt um, for, for lithium batteries and also um, one with a company called Tarmac for a lime calcina project and RHI Magnesita to advance CO2 emissions in um, reduction in the refractory industry. But I guess one overhang of the stock, and you know, we, we've been holding it for almost three years and it wasn't really noticed by the market up until recently, was how do you value this opportunity? Um, because we know it, it, there is a big opportunity, but how how big is it? And who's going to pay for it? And, and where's, where's that going to come from? Um, and I guess that kind of was cleared last week because they actually announced that Carbon Direct Capital Management took a 7% stake in Project Lilac, which is their... Um, lime and cement uh, zero emissions technology. And it purchased that for about 24.5 million Australian dollars. And that values the project at about $350 million. And so this really got the market's attention, particularly because this is just one project of many that that Calix does. And and, um, year to date, as of speaking, of course, who knows what happens tomorrow, but year to date, the stock is up almost 400%. So it's one of those companies that you know, fits well with our purpose because it's leading to a better, better environment and a better world. Um, has a real business case and is, you know, coming out with some great partnerships that demonstrate the, uh, I guess, the effectiveness of their technology. Um, and also, it's performed really well for us. And so, they're the types of companies that we we try to seek out in our better future strategies, like IMPQ. And um, that's why we kind of believe you need a portfolio because some are going to take a little bit longer to get noticed. To, to get traction by the market. Um, as you would know, in when you guys are talking about companies, we need to get it to that scale so it's noticed in the valuation and the share price rises and, and that doesn't always happen overnight. So you have to be a little bit patient sometimes um, and that's why I recommend a portfolio is always the best approach. Yeah, I was just going to say, but I believe you've got another one, Emily. I do as well. So another company that we really love is, is a, an ed tech and it's called Janison Education and they provide online learning and assessment platforms Um, And we think this company provides a compelling valuation and growth trajectory. So during COVID, when people couldn't go in and sit exams, they allowed education to continue because all of their exams are virtual. Um, And it actually does the exams for the OECD PISA test for school globally. So including in the US, China, Brazil, Spain and Japan. It does the Chartered Accountant exams, the Czech Republic National exam as well, University of London. um, And that allows people to sit exams via distance and also for flexible working. 
Um, and it's a really has a really quality annual recurring revenue and also high um, high gross profit margins, similar to, to SaaS margins, and as I mentioned, strong revenue growth. Um, but its EV to sale is sales is only about three point five to four point five times, and that compares to about seven to eight times of um, other SaaS names. So we think it has a really compelling valuation and, and growth opportunity. And again, it fits into one of our themes of education being, you know, better for society. And that's that's why we like Janison Education because it really provides that, I guess, union of a better future investment, but also something that has compelling upside. Brilliant. That's that's a nice way to wrap it up. And I, I have to say out of all our guests, it's probably the most detailed DD we've had on on two nominated uh, 10 baggers. So uh, yeah. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. It's been a great discussion. We'll put a link to your website, um, alphafemalesinvest.com.au and Instagram in the show notes so that now that this episode is wrapping up, people can tune into one of yours. Thank you very much for, for both of you for joining on joining us on the show. It's been a really illuminating episode and, um, yeah, I'm sure listeners have, have gained a lot. So thank you again. Our absolute pleasure. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, Sam. It was great. Music in this episode is called 10 Minutes by Green Monday and from twinmusicom.org. Remember, the contents of this show is not financial advice. If you have questions or need more information about your own circumstances, make sure to contact a professional financial advisor.